Recording in progress. Good evening. I'd like to call to order the Shoreline Planning Commission public hearing for Thursday, November 16th, 2023. First item is roll call. Ms. Hoeksma. Commissioner, Commissioner Brinson. Here. Commissioner Callahan. Here. Commissioner Galuska. Present. Commissioner Lynn. Here. Commissioner Mosier. Here. Chair Sager. Here. Vice Chair Wamashonje is um, absent with notice. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next item is approval of the agenda. Is there any changes anybody wishes to make? All right. Approval of the minutes from November 2nd. Does anybody have any changes they'd like to make on that? Great. Those are approved. Uh, that brings us to general public comment. Ms. Hoeksma, is there anybody signed up for general public comment tonight? No, we have not, no general public comment. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That brings us to the public hearing portion. Tonight's public hearing is regarding the transit bus spaces and individual transportation and taxi facilities development code amendments. The purpose for the hearing is to obtain public testimony and for the commission to develop a recommendation to forward to the city council on this topic. Comments are limited to three minutes per person. When the clerk calls your name for either in-person or remote comments, please state your name and city of residence for the record before you begin. The process for the public hearing is as follows. The city will present its staff report. The commission will be given an opportunity to ask clarifying questions. Individuals will be given an opportunity to testify. After all testimony has been received, the commission will begin deliberation and may ask questions of the staff or individuals who testified. The commission will vote and then close the public hearing. I now wish to open the public hearing. Ms. Lee, are you presenting for us? Yeah, good evening. I'm Kate Lee, a planner in the Planning and Community Development Department here to present this item this evening. So the presentation of the, the agenda presentation is in front of you. I'll uh, start with some background, then go into the public involvement on this code amendment, then into the actual proposed code, um, city staff recommendation, and then go over next steps to end the presentation. Because transit bus spaces and individual transportation and taxi facilities are incompatible with the city's vision for several areas of the city as set forth in the comprehensive plan, staff recommended the enactment of a moratorium. So on July 17th of this year, the city council unanimously approved and adopted ordinance number 991, which enacted an emergency six month moratorium that prohibited the city from accepting, processing, and or approving all applications or permits for transit bus spaces and individual transportation and taxi facilities. On August 14th of this year, the city council held a public hearing on this ordinance 991 that was required to be held within 60 days of its adoption. In September of this year, staff conducted research into other cities in King County and how these two uses are regulated by those cities. 
on October 19th of this year. The Planning Commission discussed this item At the October 19th Planning Commission meeting, there were several questions asked by the Commission, and two of those are shown here on this slide. Could the term principal arterial be used instead of the term state highway? And could language related to odor mitigation be added to the approval criteria for these two uses? So the first question, could the term principal arterial be used instead of the term state highway? This question relates to where staff is proposing the two uses be allowed, which is the CB zoning district just on properties that front on a state highway. So on this slide, the difference between CB zone properties that front on a state highway and those that front on a principal arterial, which is a term used in the city's comprehensive plan are depicted on the two maps. The state highway map is on the left and the principal arterial map is on the right. This slide zooms in on the three parts of the city where the use would be allowed if we use the term principal arterial instead of state highway as staff is recommending. As shown on these maps, it would include areas of North City along 15th Avenue Northeast where staff does not recommend these uses be allowed. So for that reason, staff is continuing to recommend the term state highway be used. The second question um, from the commission had to do with whether specific language about odor mitigation could be added into the approval criteria. So in response to this concern, staff has added specific language about odor mitigation into the decision criteria. And that language is shown on the slide here. At the city council public hearing on August 14th, 2023, there were two public comments provided by the property owner of the King County um, access van site and King County Metro. These comments express concern about the moratorium and the ability to locate on another site in the city of Shoreline. City staff and King County Metro staff met on September 12th to discuss Metro siting needs, the research done so far by city staff on this topic and next steps in working together to find an appropriate location for an access van site. The city determined that the proposed development code amendments will not have a will not have a probable significant adverse impact on the environment on, on August 20 sorry October 26 of this year we issued a state environmental policy act determination of non-significance there was uh, only one non-comment comment from a tribal agency during the comment period just stating that they had no comment on the proposal during general public comment at the Planning Commission's November 2nd meeting, Josh Friedman, an attorney representing Black Brent LLC, provided a comment regarding the King County Metro access van site, which is owned by his client, Black Brent LLC. His comment was that they thought the city's position on fleet bases was controversial and they do not agree 
that the draft regu regulations would apply to the operations on the access van site. The comment also referenced ongoing code enforcement action between the city and Black Brand LLC. So um, that's all the, the background so far. And next, getting into the draft code amendments themselves. So the first ones have to do with definitions. We're proposing, um, so these amendments are outlined in the staff report, which has been provided to you, and also attachment A, which shows these in legislative format, where new language is underlined and language to be deleted is shown in strike through. So we're proposing the addition of two definitions for fleet-based major and fleet-based minor. The difference would be the size of vehicle stored, rep repaired, and dispatched from the location. Um, and also the definition of transit bus base is a, a proposed for deletion. Additional decision criteria are proposed for the minor fleet base use when it is a conditional use and for the minor fleet base use and major fleet base use when they are special uses. The decision criteria are shown here. These criteria have been refined by staff since the October 19th Planning Commission meeting to not be duplicative of existing decision criteria for conditional use permits and special use permits that are currently in the code and also to address impacts from these two uses. Staff is proposing that the existing language in the special, special use permit decision criteria related to the comprehensive plan be amended to match the existing language in the conditional use permit decision criterion related to the comprehensive plan as shown here on this slide. So they both would read the conditional use or the special use is compatible with the comprehensive plan. Uh, minor fleet base is proposed to be a conditional use in the CB, that's community business and MB, um, mixed business zones, and a special use in the R4 through R48 zones, which are residential zoning districts. Major fleet base is proposed to be a special use in the R4 through R48 CB and MB zones. The transit bus base use and individual transportation and taxi use are proposed to be deleted from the use charts. Next is a series of slides that shows areas of the city um, where if the proposal um, before you today, if this were adopted, these are the areas of the city where the two uses would be allowed, starting with the Aurora Corridor. So this shows um, MB zone properties along or near Aurora Avenue. Um, these slides focus on Aurora north of 185th Street. These, um, these maps show South Aurora, so south of 175th Street down to the city's border at 145th. Um, as you can see, Shoreline Place, uh, Aurora Square has been excluded since it has its own vision, which does not include these two uses. And this map shows MB 
and CB zone properties along a state highway and focuses in on the Ballinger area of the city. This map shows CB zone properties along a state highway focusing on 145th Street. The area along 145th and 15th Avenue Northeast has been excluded since it will be rezoned by the city in 2033 to MUR70, which is not a zoning district appropriate for these two uses. And finally, this shows the only current property that would meet the criteria proposed for where the use the fleet-based uh, fleet major use is allowed in the R4 through R48 zones, which is the site has to be a minimum of 10 acres in size and abut a limited access state highway from which the site has direct vehicular access. And this is the, the current King County Metro North Base site. The proposed code amendments meet the three required decision criteria shown here on the slide and further detailed in the staff report. The proposal before you takes into consideration the public health, welfare, and safety and proposes appropriate zoning categories where these uses would be allowed and provides mitigating criteria and public notice for where these uses would be approved. Staff recommends that the planning, planning Commission recommend approval of the proposed transit bus bases and individual transportation and taxi facilities development code amendments to the City Council. The next steps are shown here on this slide, which starts with the public hearing tonight. Then a recommendation from the Planning Commission and tentative dates for city council discussion on December 11th and potential action on January 8th. Note that the six month moratorium ends unless extended or resolved on January 17th, 2024. Should the commission choose, there's a motion that you could make um, after the public hearing has been held. And that's all I have for you, thank you. Thank you. All right. Does anybody have any clarifying questions they'd like to ask? No clarifying questions. All right, that brings us to um, the opportunity for individuals to testify. Ms. Hoxma, do we have anybody tonight that will, would like to speak? Yes, I have two that have signed up and I will um, call on, first on Josh Friedman. Josh, you are, uh, allowed to talk or unmuted good evening can you hear me yes thank you uh, my name is josh friedman and i live in seattle as i mentioned in my previous spoken comment and in my written comment that i transmitted to you today i represent the ownership of the metro access parcel the ownership is a joint venture between Alaska Native corporations and the rents from the Metro Access program directly benefit the tribal members of these corporations, many of whom live in very remote communities. I will not repeat my previous spoken and written comments in full, but the stakes are high enough that I must reiterate. These proposed amendments are part of a broader city effort to shut down the Metro Access site, risking harm to riders with disabilities across shoreline harm to drivers and mechanics who work at the site, 
and harm to Alaska Native beneficiaries who depend on the program's rents. Again, I quote the public record, quote, Shoreline has placed thousands of Metro riders in Shoreline and its vicinity in jeopardy of limited, reduced, or no services. Please do not uh, recommend the city's, or excuse me, please do not endorse the city's approach by recommending the code amendments before you. We respectfully submit that the increasing the risk of a transit shutdown for Shoreline's elderly and disabled riders would absolutely have adverse effect on the public health and welfare. It would absolutely run against the best interests of Shoreline's community. Please do not adopt these amendments until you are confident in what effects they will have on vulnerable members of the community. Instead, consider recommending that city staff propose development standards that will support the Metro Access Program following meaningful consultation with Metro. Please encourage the city to negotiate in good faith with Metro, with its contractor, and with the Metro Access Program's native ownership to ensure that the Metro Access Program is not disrupted during the time that it will take for Metro to find a suitable replacement site. In case it's helpful to you, we have submitted a draft recommendation for your review, which you could consider as an alternative up to the motion that the staff have put up on the screen. We hope you will consider this alternative we have submitted um, as adopting it would show the Planning Commission's support to the Metro Access Program, support for these riders, drivers, and mechanics, and support to the Metro Access Properties native ownership. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Our next speaker is Amanda Pleasant Brown. Amanda, you are unmuted. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, can you hear us? Hello? Hmm. Hello? I don't know why she's... Can you hear me? We can hear you now. Are you hearing us? I apologize. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. I apologize. Sorry. I mute. I'm on two different devices. Good evening, Shoreline Planning Commission. My name is Amanda Pleasant Brown and I live in Seattle and I am speaking on behalf of King County Metro. Access service is federally required and Metro operates it out of our shoreline access facility property located at 16325 5th Avenue Northeast. Metro's attempted purchase of this property is what prompted the actions of Shoreline City Council on July 17th and brings us here today. Your actions today impact Metro's ability to provide service to the 5,600 unique riders who took trips deployed from the Shoreline Access Base and the 2,200 riders who live in Shoreline. Metro requests that the members of the Planning Commission do not recommend or endorse the draft regulations that city staff have proposed. Instead, the Commission should put Metro access riders first and ensure that Metro's facility can either remain at the site or allow Metro to secure another location before you choose to adopt the proposed regulations. There is additional information that Metro would like to clarify and add to the record. 
First, moving and siting a new facility would require a multi-year capital planning project and must be aligned with the King County Council budget process, the next of which is at the end of 2024. This is an uncertain and lengthy process and Metro needs time to go through it. Metro's other access bases are at capacity. Losing the site would likely increase wait times and delays in access services in North King County and may jeopardize the service. Metro has been asked about our needs, but Shoreland has not suggested any alternative locations that Metro has confirmed will work. Some options would involve displacement of other businesses or residential homes. There's another way. Metro and Shoreline could jointly redevelop the site to enhance Shoreline goals for the Ridgecrest neighborhood, including future housing and electrification efforts. Action today would preclude any other creative solutions that could jointly partner on to re-envision what the current site could be. The unclear legal status as the result of the city's actions have put access service at imminent risk and our most vulnerable riders have not been sufficiently considered in this process. Metro requests that this body direct staff to obtain Metro's approval of the proposed development regulations prior to adoption. Locations within the proposed regulation boundaries do not provide sufficient options for Metro to site a new facility and Metro does not have the information to appropriately plan a capital project and meet the imposed requirements. Metro has been proud to operate our Shoreline Access Facility and has always been a good partner to the City of Shoreline. This current path does not need to continue. Let's lean into our partnership and our mutual interests to serve access riders and support our mutual vision of a prosperous shoreline that works for everyone. Thank you for your time. Thank you. <clears throat> and that is it, Ms. Hoxma? That is all we have tonight. Great. Thank you. All right, commissioners, time to deliberate. Uh, does anybody have any questions or, or comments or concerns? No. All right. All right. Um, would somebody then like to make a motion? <coughs> Commissioner Brinson. It's written down for me. I recommend that City Council, I move to forward the Planning Commission's recommendation of approval of the proposed transit bus bases and individual transportation and taxi facilities development code amendments to City Council at its regular meeting of December 11th, 2023. Thank you. Is there a second? No second. Great. Um, would you like to speak to your motion, Ms. Brinson? No. Okay. Commissioner Mosher? Sure. I mean, I think for me, as I was thinking about it, there's two ways. And when you guys did your research before, I'm supporting this because if you looked at other jurisdictions that have this use, they have an industrial zone or a more compatible zone. And these are our commercial zones, which we talk about often as not meeting our needs as it is. And so I think this is taking us the other direction from it. And I think the other way I'm supportive of too is if you look at the one, one option is King County Metro service, which is viable and appropriate, but this could also be a private bus fleet for, you know, like if you go to Soto, there's a lot of them that are Expedia's or Amazon's or Facebook's or whatever, which is completely different kind of use. So I think this helps us set a standard for what we do want and what we don't want. Thank you. Commissioner Callahan. Uh, I would like to um, propose an amendment. Um, I move to amend the main motion to add impacts on safe walking routes to schools to the decision criteria. Um, in hindsight, I, um, you know, all of our decision criteria listed there, I think this one is missing. Um, we have major challenges with walkability in our city. 
And this type of use with vehicles coming and going has the potential to um, make certain areas less walkable. Uh, and school uh, walking routes are already established. Um, so this should just be uh, yet another um, criteria in um, the decision criteria on page 18. Thank you. Um, is there a second to this amendment? Anybody? I second the amendment. All right. Um, would you like to speak to that, Commissioner Galuska? Uh, looking at the areas that are proposed, um, I think most of those probably have good frontage improvements. But if there was a site that you know didn't have good uh, entrance and exits, I, I think that could be a real concern for for uh, the path to school and things like that. So, I, I think that's a, a good addition that would fit in along the lines of a CUP or, or, um, or this kind of use, so. Great. Does anybody else um, have any comments about this? Ms. Lee? Any comments about that? Uh, just to clarify, would you, are you proposing to add it, add it in as another factor to consider in four, or you're proposing to add it as a separate criteria? I think under the decision criteria under um, E, um, I think it would fit under the um, uh, the list where um, that starts you know, measures needed to um, mitigate, and then it lists all those measures. And I think just adding impacts on safe walking routes um, would would be sufficient. Okay, thank you. Um, uh, do we have a, a motion to somebody else? Uh, is that how we do it? No, you just need to vote on the just, amendment. Just, no. just yeah, just the you. amendment. Thank you. Um, let's vote on the amendment. Ms. Hoeksma, will you call roll? Yes, J um, Commissioner Callahan. Aye. Commissioner Mosier. Aye. Chair Sager. Yes. Commissioner Galuska? Aye. Commissioner Lynn? Aye. And Commissioner Brinson? Aye. Thank you. Thank you. Now the main motion. Main motion as amended. Uh, we will then vote on the main motion as amended. Unless anybody else has Unless... any proposed amendments. <laughs> Thank you. Does anybody else have any proposed amendments? All right, we will vote on the main motion as amended. Ms. Hoeksma. Okay, thank you. Um, Commissioner Brinson. Aye. Commissioner Lynn. Aye. Commissioner Galuska. Aye. Chair Sager. Aye. Commissioner Mosier. Aye. And Commissioner Callahan. Aye. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Um, at this stage, the public hearing is now closed. Thank you. All right, that brings us then to a director's report. Do we have a director's report tonight?
Good evening. So I'll be providing the director's report tonight. And um, it's kind of a grab bag of miscellaneous updates from everything happening or all, you know different happenings around uh, the city and at City Hall. So um, we'll get started. Um, so I'll, I'll hit on um, several items tonight. Um, I'll talk about some recent activity going on or um, actions that the city council has been taking on a couple of different things that the commission may be interested in, um, as well as an overview on the parks project or the parks bond projects, um, the sound transit projects occurring in the 145th, um, and then some development activity. So we'll start off here with some recent city council activities. So related to transportation impact fees, um, on Monday evening, um, the council adopted amendments to the transportation impact fee program that established a new method for assessing the transportation impact fees for the city. And um, this is uh, moving to a person trip uh, methodology for calculating these impact fees versus vehicle trips. And this is one component of implementing that multimodal transportation level of service that the commission, um, I believe, took action on a couple of meetings ago, just relatively recently. And so um, the action also updates the list of projects to be funded by the the impact fees and clarified and expanded some of the uh, the land uses that are exempt from paying transportation impact fees that better align with economic development goals such as removing the exemptions that were on the books for more auto oriented uses uh, and then it also includes kind of along the same lines a rate reduction for impact fees within high activity areas and i'll show you where those are in a moment and um, and then kind of moving ahead this is one step of a multi-step process related to impact fees that the council will be considering so on november 20th they're scheduled to be adopting uh, the inflation adjusted uh, transportation impact fee rates adjusting kind of cost of living adjustment that we do annually and then in february they'll be uh, looking to take action on a rate schedule that would uh, more comprehensively update to the rate study and that would take effect in March to coincide with the building code adoption changes. Um, and so the, the high activity areas I mentioned are shown here in orange on this map. And so uh, development subject to transportation impact fees in these areas would be eligible for a 15% reduction. And so you'll notice these are locations that are really centered around high capacity transit. So you have the bus rapid, uh, bus rapid transit along Aurora, and then the two light rail station areas. And I mentioned the building code updates um, for March, and so that's one of the reasons the impact fees would be uh, proposed to take effect in March to coincide with the building code changes that are in the pipeline. And so, um, as you may know, the building codes adopted and updated regularly by the State Building Code Council. And then each local jurisdiction adopts uh, the state code with local amendments. And, uh, and so the State Code Council voted back 
last spring to delay the effective date a couple of times. And so the current effective date is March 15, 2024. There's some pending litigation around energy code and um, and and so we'll see where that shakes out. Again, this is beyond just shoreline. Um, but the code council's entering rulemaking to modify the sections within the commercial and residential energy code areas to address uh, some of the legal uncertainty related to the litigation. And uh, staff will likely be recommending that council adopt the commercial energy code similar to what Seattle will be proposing. And so that's sort of been a, a practice in recent years is to follow Seattle's lead on some of those energy code provisions and, and recommend changes along those. And so once that, uh, once some of the uncertainty around timing and, and the, the challenges to the code flesh out, we'll be uh, taking forward to council for consideration the local amendments. Um, another thing that uh, is underway right now is the Human Services Strategic Plan. And so every two years, the City of Shoreline conducts a residential or resident satisfaction survey. And the importance of human services continues to be a topic that surfaces through those survey results. And so uh, that last survey was done in 2022. And uh, two of the top priorities that were identified related to overall response to homelessness and then also overall quality of human services. And so to that end, the city's working toward a more comprehensive review of services and programs related to human services in Shoreline. And so the human services strategic plan would provide um, uh, some uh, organization around uh, how to approach human services in a more comprehensive fashion. And so the scope of the plan will include confirming and prioritizing uh, the identified list of community needs and those gaps, uh, setting a six-year list of strategies and actions looking from 2025 through 2030, identifying desired results and outcomes and the best practices around activities and methodologies for achieving the outcomes. And those could include things like city funding levels, uh, staffing recommendations, and then also indicators and targets for tracking and evaluating the success of some of the, uh, the programs related to human services. Um, and then also determining the most effective way in which the city can partner with other organizations that might already be providing a certain service. And so on December 11th, staff will be sharing with council the work and the information that's been underway to date and then with plans to return to council in January and February with the proposed plan and potential action by the city council. And then also um, somewhat on the human services and housing front, uh, the council in response to concerns about equity in housing and rising rental rates, the They'll be, uh, or they've directed staff rather to prepare a slate of proposed tenant protections that they could take action on. And so these protections would be above and beyond the protections already provided by the state through the Residential Landlord Tenant Act. 
and uh, the proposed regulations would provide a private right of action for the tenant, so meaning that the tenant would have the right to be to bring forward a lawsuit to enforce their rights under the code. Other cities throughout the county, such as Kenmore, Kirkland, Issaquah, and, and Redmond, have already enacted various tenant protections that are enforceable in court via the same legal principle. So council will review these proposed uh, list of tenant protections on November 20th, and then uh, potential action uh, would be scheduled for December 5th. Moving on to some of the capital projects that are going on. So in 2020, uh, or 2022 rather, voters in Shoreline passed the park bond measure, and uh, that bond funds several projects, uh, several park projects throughout the city. And so since that time, the city's been busy um, engaging with the community to advance several of the park designs and uh, working on permitting for each of the parks as well. And so they're advancing the uh, eight different parks in three separate packages, uh, all at different stages of either construction all the way through permitting and design. And so uh, those are shown here. They're all targeted tentatively to be completed by 2024. Um, and so I'll highlight just a couple that are under construction here. So the uh, Krukeberg Garden is um, currently scheduled to get under construction in December, and that's going to be constructing a new ADA accessible ramp, the uh, shown in brown here, with through the park in the garden area, and then Ridgecrest Park construction is now underway and will include a new off-leash dog area as well as pathways and a new play area. And design still underway on Hillwood Park, but on Monday night, council authorized the purchase of a property shown here in yellow at 19028 8th Avenue Northwest um, to, uh, to acquire the property. And this will increase and improve the accessibility to the park for the surrounding neighborhood. Uh, this property acquisition, if it fully goes through, is fully funded by park impact fees which are collected by new development. And so um, this would be a great uh, asset to the park, improving the, like I mentioned, the um, access and accessibility for the surrounding neighbors to the west there. Um, it was actually uh, the middle picture on the left was fully permitted for a small five unit uh, residential development. And so it was on the market and so the city was able to be um, be able to act quickly enough and to respond and um, hopefully at the end we'll be able to be incorporated into the final park design. Moving to the light rail, so um, several things going on of course with the Linwood light, Link light rail extension and so um, it's nearing substantial completion. The contractor is aiming to be requesting temporary certificates of occupancy for the stations and garages, essentially between now and the end of January. And that'll facilitate the transfer of ownership uh, to the sound transit operations side of things. 
uh, construction activity should substantially be finished by the end of January, and then the punch list items will continue on through 2024. But overall civil work, uh, the kind of the heavy construction components of this are 97% complete with the last 3% predominantly related to roads, uh, some of the signals and traffic control devices, and then landscaping and fences. And the current schedule right now um, is uh, civil substantial completion scheduled to be completed November 30th. So like right around the corner um, and then system substantial completion uh, toward the end of January and then testing would run through February and then revenue service. So basically public um, can get on the train starting sometime in the third quarter of next year, hopefully. We've got some pictures here. Um, and so these photos are from the contractor uh, taken on November 1st. So we've got here a photo of the 148th station, the garage right there on the right-hand side, and then the station platform kind of at the top in the middle of the picture there. This is, um, um, so that's, as I mentioned, not what 97% complete looks like at this stage. And then this is the 185th station platform. And this next picture, um, trains actually on the tracks, so that's exciting. Um, this is apparently rail grinding. That's a thing, I don't know what that is, <laughs> but um, I guess it, uh, well, I guess it says here. So it's like sanding the tracks to fit the train so they can run smoothly and quietly. So we'll see. I will give that some quality testing. Um, and then the detailed systems integration testing uh, began two weeks ago. And so that um, includes uh, completing a light rail vehicle dead car tow, which I think is the image on the left and um, which put the first train on the track. So that's where the, that was the first train. So we've got a picture for the history books of the first train on this segment of the tracks. And this is a picture, uh, that's Ridgecrest Park on the right. So as it exists right now, so that uh, the diagram I showed a couple of slides ago, there'll be new play equipment and, um, and an off-leash dog area in that park. But as you can see, there's the parking lot now, and this is uh, just north of the 148th station. Uh, so kind of down in this image, you will be able to connect into that station. A couple, it's a few blocks, but um, relatively short walk. So that's what's going on with light rail. And then Sound Transit's other project is the Stride Bus Rapid Transit. So the Stride or S3 line will provide the bus rapid transit service from Shoreline uh, to Bothell. And so this will connect riders from the light rail station at 148 uh, all the way out to Bothell mm -hmm. on the east end. And, um, and at the I, or yeah, the 405 transit hub, which will connect to their other S2 uh, bus rapid transit line. 
And so uh, the city has three stations within the 145th corridor highlighted there in red. And so we're continuing to work with Sound Transit as they finalize the design and then they'll eventually build those three stations or more like enhanced bus stops similar to like what's on Aurora for the E-Line. And service there is anticipated to begin in 2027. And then transitioning to some of the city's capital projects, uh, kind of focus on 145th corridor here. So we have the uh, several things happening in and around 145th. So the city's completed the design phases of the 145th Street corridor project for the phase one. And that's uh, First Avenue to Corliss Avenue. And then also the 145th Street and I-5 interchange project and the city's now seeking bids from contractors. Construction's anticipated to begin early next year, provided there's uh, a, a successful bid that comes in on point. And um, so the construction, if all goes as planned, will start with the installation of a new stormwater detention vault off the corridor, and then prior to beginning of the roadway work. And so this is the interchange uh, I think they called this the dog bone with you've got the two roundabouts on either end and then the bridge spanning 145th. And then phase one of the corridor, which is on the, this will tie in on the left, the pink area here on this image. So phase one on the right hand side here is uh, what would be under construction early next year and would include new curb gutter sidewalk and the roadway improvements and everything. And with construction, of course, comes other complications and, um, and some pain. So there's uh, anticipated to be a six month closure of 145th Street at this location, just because of the complexity and the multiple utility re relocations and everything that needs to occur and so this closure would be planned for six months from about spring until fall of 2024. And so by closing the street, the city will be able to reduce the overall construction time for the project overall, as well as save some costs there. And the primary detour route here is shown, it's heading um, east and then west on 155th and then 130th. And uh, there won't be any impacts to traveling north or south on Meridian Avenue. And uh, the on and off ramps from I-5 will also remain open for both northbound and southbound. However, access to I-5 will only be available from the east side of the freeway. So going to be a lot going on in this area for that period of time. Um, and, and including another project, which is the 148th Street non-motorized bridge. And so this is, uh, will be providing a key connection to where the station platform is on the east side of I-5 over to the west side. And so um, to meet the needs of, you know, some of the new uh, land uses and uh, new development activity occurring and planned in these areas, Connecting I-5 at this location is going to be really important to facilitate that really good pedestrian and bicycle connection on both sides. And um, so the bridge will provide that new connection 
and um, also reduce the travel times for folks living on either end needing to get to the to, to, to the train platform. Phase one construction, which is the east side of I-5, so the green area on this slide is underway, and then phase two, which is everything else on the yellow areas, which is the essentially the bridge, bridge span and then the trail connection on the west. Design's completed, however, that segment of the project's not funded yet, and so uh, we'll wait until funding's secured to complete the other segment of that, but it was really important just with the timing of the station and the, the train guideway and everything on the east side that that bridge landing over on that portion get constructed sooner rather than later. And a couple of images here of what that, of what the non-motorized bridge will look like. So we have the view from I-5 on the left and then uh, view from the west side of the trail where the bridge will, or the, the trail will connect into the bridge on the west side on the right there. Um, kind of similar to what was put up at the Northgate station along I-5 where it connects the North Seattle Community College to the station at Northgate. Moving to development activities, so um, just throw some numbers here at you real quickly, but uh, development activity stayed or is staying pretty uh, steady even with some of the economic uncertainty that's been in the news lately. So 2022, this shows uh, to some degree, we, we had a significant number of new permit applications filed relative to the prior years and then even this year to an extent. Uh, so far this year, we've seen volumes that are closer to the 2022 or 2021 numbers rather, um, but still slightly higher on the number of applications or permits we've issued and um, pretty consistent in terms of new applications being filed. And then the declared valuation, uh, so I thought this was interesting. So new permit applications provide the construction valuation when they're filed. And this chart shows the total valuation of all new permit applications. And you can see, um, for this year, again, this is year to date, and so we've seen a pretty significant drop, but just that 2022 really jumps out, and I think this helps tell the story of some of the scale and the magnitude of the development activity occurring. So it's one thing just to see the number of applications, but it's really the size of these projects. And so 2022 included um, some pretty big mixed use and multifamily developments that were coming through the pipeline and filed at that time. And I'll breeze through these next slides. Um, I had looked back at the last director's update we provided and it was pretty heavy on a lot of the development activity. So I'm focusing on some of the ones that we that have changed in terms of status. So um, the Modera project starting off here, this is now under construction and um, is actually the big tower crane across the street over on Linden Avenue. So um, this is underway as we speak. So this will be 399 units um, and a height of about 70 feet. And so under construction, as I mentioned, uh, the line apartment 
development. Uh, this is a mixed use project with 241 units with 1,700 square feet of retail. This is over on 145th. Uh, also another crane in the sky right now. And so this was previously, last time we brought this to you, it was under review, but that's been issued and is well underway now. There are multiple stories up out of the ground, I think last time I went by. And then directly next door to that project are the Shea Properties development. This is 550 units, uh, again, seven stories. Um, and I don't have it noted here. I don't believe there's any commercial development piece on this project. And then across the street from these two developments, uh, just north of this, uh, this is a newer development. This is currently going through the administrative design review process. And this would be a an eight-story building with 360 units and 3,000 square feet of commercial. And uh, on the left there, that's First Avenue in the rendering on the left, and then uh, the developments on the kind of on the bottom there would be the Shea development and then the line development that I just showed you. And then this provides a nice rendering of where the pedestrian bridge is kind of on the top of that image and then the station on the other side of I-5. So this abuts kind of to the mid block of where that bridge landing will be for the non-motorized bridge. And the Alta North City project, this just broke uh, just broke ground last month at North City. This is the former Lena site over there and the first development through with the ground floor commercial regulations that were adopted in 2020. And so they'll be providing the ground floor commercial there along 15th and, um, and then this is at the corner of 15th and 179th and will include 228 units and as mentioned, the, the ground floor commercial space. And another new project under review at the administrative design review stage, uh, this is ION at 5th, and this would be a mixed-use building with 310 units and about 1,700 square feet of commercial space on the ground floor. This is on the east side of I-5, uh, at the corner of 5th Avenue and 149th. So it's about a block or so north of where the station is uh, within the MUR 70 zone. And then moving outside of the station areas in Aurora down at Richmond Beach, uh, also under administrative design review is a 236 unit senior living building and uh, this is located at 8th Avenue Northwest and directly adjacent. It's sort of within the shopping center where QFC is down there. And uh, you can kind of see that not too well, maybe on the right side, the vicinity map. But this is uh, a rendering of what the building would look like facing 8th Avenue Northwest. And uh, the reason the building's kind of tiered back the way it is in this instance is we have transition zone requirements. And so across the street in this instance is uh, lower density residential zoning. And so 
they're required to step the building back as they go up, and so that's what you're seeing here. And then the Furcrest Fir Master Development Plan, or MDP, um, this, uh, I think it was Chair Sager, you asked that this be included at the last meeting. And as I started pulling stuff together, um, I, I've got some high-level information here. We're awaiting a resubmittal from them. It should be coming soon. And so I didn't want to put outdated information, like a whole bunch of detail for you when things could be a little bit in flux. And so once we have that more recent information, once it comes in, we can share more details back to you on that. But generally speaking, this is the 20-year master development plan for the Furcrest campus. And it, at a high level, uh, plans to include a 120-bed skilled nursing facility, uh, a potential for a behavioral health facility, as well as um, uh, different other uses that are uh, some of them currently on the site, some of them would be introducing new types of uses to the site, um, and really sets the stage for a 20-year kind of plan for growth and changes on the campus. Uh, it would also include new pedestrian and vehicle circulation throughout the site. Um, in their first uh, iteration of the plan, they're including better pedestrian connectivity into Hamlin Park. and. Um, and attempting to kind of open up the campus a little more to the community, have it a little more public facing. Um, and then also commercial development opportunity on the south and on the, um, yeah, it's kind of that southeast corner of the site. It would also uh, subdivide components of the campus through a subdivision process. And so, um, Part of that, too, would be subdividing off the portions of the property that are owned by the Department of Natural Resources. And that's sort of in the southeast portion of the site along 15th is where the Department of Natural Resources lands are. So those are not included within the master development plan. And so that's one thing that the state's working to do between uh, DSHS and Department of Natural Resources are working to subdivide those two pieces off. And, um, and then Department of Natural Resources could work to figure out their long-term plan for their component, and then DSHS would continue to operate under their master development plan. And so, like I said, we can share more information and some renderings and, and detail graphics and things with you once we've got that. Um, and then last but not least, I just wanted to give a plug that the, uh, the comprehensive plan update open house or the online open house is now live and online. And so that includes a survey. There's an interactive map on there as well. The survey focus you'll notice is around the idea of complete communities. So what can, what do folks want um, or, and consider when they hear the term complete community and um, soliciting a little more input around that idea. So we're scheduled to close that um, on around December 10th, but would encourage you all to take it. And then also, of course, to share with your neighbors and your networks just to get um, some good participation. 
we're uh, wrapping up a couple of week period where we've done a lot of engagement around the comp plan update. We had an in-person open house here last night, which um, had some good attendance. And then we had a, an event earlier in the week at Shorewood High School where we were engaging with um, the students over there. And so um, we've been doing a lot of activities and, and engagement around the comp plan. So we'll be sharing all those results, of course, um, probably sometime early part of next year. So that concludes the, uh, the director's report. And so if there's any questions, happy to field those or um, at least point you to the appropriate staff person to maybe better answer them. That was wonderful. Thank you. Yep. Does anybody have any questions of Mr. Bauer? Yes, Commissioner Brinson. Andrew, would it be possible to share out that PowerPoint? Absolutely. Awesome. Yep. Thank you. Anybody else? Great. Thank you. Thank you for that very detailed report. I appreciate that. Um, that brings us to unfinished business. Is there unfinished business tonight? Or new business? Or reports? <laughs> yes, I, sir. I have one, um, one item under new business here. Yes. Um, our official announcement that the planning commissioner recruitment is going to be uh, getting underway and so there's four commissioners whose first term ends on March 31st of next year so that's commissioners Callahan, Galuska, Ramachanjay, and Sager um, and so each of you are eligible of course to apply um, for a second four-year term and so we'll be opening applications or opening the call for applications, which will be due to the city clerk's office by 5 p.m. on Friday, January 5th. Um, and so make sure you reapply should you wish to uh, continue to attend Thursday evenings for the next four years, <laughs> at least on the dais. Anyone's welcome. So Thank you. Um, sorry, I skipped over you so fast. I was looking at my peeps up here. Um, what is our agenda for the December 7th and the December 21st? Yeah, so we uh, sent an email around the, or about the December 7th meeting. Uh, there's no scheduled agenda for that meeting currently, so we thought um, that could be an opportunity for a social gathering if the commissioners wanted to um, in lieu of a meeting and we could schedule that at a different time slot as well maybe earlier in the evening um, but it's really at the commission's discretion if you'd like to hold that slot and we can help schedule something um, I know we had such great discussion at the retreat back in September. We never got to the social side of it. So, um, but it's really, it's up to you all. And then the December 21st meeting, um, we were hopeful we were going to be able to cancel that, but unfortunately some things had to get moved around. So we'll be holding a public hearing that evening on the PROSA element of the comprehensive plan. Uh, and so, that'd be the December 21st meeting. And so right now it's December 7th is at your guys' discretion. Okay. 
Anybody want to make any comments on that right now? Not yet. <clears throat> okay. We'll get back to you. I, yeah, and I would add, I don't know at what point we would need to advertise for that. It would be considered a special meeting, and so we'll... I need to know by next Thursday, but that happens to be a holiday, so Wednesday. But it'd be good if you'd get back to us by the beginning of next week. And apparently if we've got Michelle and Julius would both be missing, it sounds like. So we just need to make a call in the next few days. Okay, thanks. Thank you. We can do that, right? Excellent. All right. Any last parting thoughts? Okay, this meeting is adjourned. Thank you.